parent-led driver's ed with my daughter. Amen. I'll be praying for you. No, I'm just kidding. She's actually a really good driver. Uh, we leave early in the morning. And so, you know, we're learning lessons as we go. And I'm remembering lessons that I was taught before. Uh, she, I don't know why we did this, but we took her into Houston. She was driving Houston in, in rush hour traffic. That's not the best, you know, way to start. Uh, she did great. Um, but one thing you have to be careful when you're driving in Houston is those barriers, right? And you're so close to them. And that just scares me, still scares me, that you're going to hit one of those barriers. And so my drivers, my, I was able to pass on great fatherly wisdom to her that uh, be careful not to stare at the barriers when you're driving. Because my driving instructor told me, you, it's, you tend to go to what you stare at. <laughs> so look uh, towards the little stripes on the right side uh, and go towards those and say so maybe you'll have some, some success. And it's true for us, too, isn't it, that things that we stare at are the things that we move our hearts towards. Our hearts kind of go towards them. And so we are spending a lot of time here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're spending a bunch of weeks on one chapter because we want to have our gaze in the right direction. And our hope is, and we've seen this before, that as we consider and reflect on, meditate on the things of God, that our hearts will continue to move in that direction and move towards love. Now, the love that's talked about here is something that we are desperately in need of and it's desperately need to give out. Our world is con concerned about love and loneliness. And so there are all kinds of songs that are made and that we are, they try to capture the essence of what love is, but really they just fall so short. I mean, how many of you, when you had that breakup with that guy or gal, went back and listened to, you just always tend to go back to listen to, to, a, to a love song, right? And just breaks your heart because you're like, that's not happening. But this kind of love, this kind of love is full. It is well-orbed kind of love. It is a, a kind of love that can only come from God and only dispense, be dispensed through his people. So I think there will be some here today that will hear these words and are followers after Jesus Christ. And initially, it's going to prick your heart and say, ah, I am missing that. The person next to me, my husband or wife, my children, the people around me, they're missing that. But Lord, bring it. Bring it. May it be a part of my life. I think there are other people who are going to come today who are not a part of the family of God. You have, you've not been regenerated. You've not been born again. And when you hear these words, it's going to seem impossible. It's going to seem like something that would be great to have, but it's going to be impossible for you to do on your own. And until, until you come to the end of yourself and realize you do not have the ability, the capacity to love like this, like the Christians in here who are saying the same thing, I don't have the capacity, I need something more to fill me in order for that to happen. Well, you're going to be in a good place today if you find yourself empty and unable to do this. If you don't find yourself empty yet, I hope you do soon. Because there is real life and there is real hope in Jesus Christ. There is a new life that is awaiting you. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll be in verses 4 through 6 today. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Last week, we just did only half of the first verse, verse 4. So we're going to really be uh, crazy here and get through the uh, one and a half more verses. Um, So uh, the first, what we looked at last week, we saw that love is patient and love is kind. It endures suffering. That, That patient is enduring suffering. So it both endures suffering and it is able to respond in the midst of suffering and be kind to others. Uh, as, as I've gone through this, I've realized that there, and you probably saw that too, there are couplets. There are things that are, are kind of brought together. And at first, as I, I'm reading it through, I'm going, I don't know exactly how these go together. But I, I'm, it's beginning to underst- be a little more clear to me now. The first one is about suffering, injustice. How do you react? Well, how does love react in the midst of suffering and injustice? Well, love endures suffering and, and doesn't have to fight back, doesn't have to get revenge. It endures suffering and responds with kindness. Instead of, being, instead of causing suffering in others, respond with kindness. That's how true love works. And so the next several are couplets as well. The first one is uh, air, uh, envy and boasting. Envy has to do with positions and, and possessions and the lack of them or when someone else has them. The, the next coupling is uh, insisting on your own way. I'm sorry, arrogant and rude. Uh, arrogance and rudeness has to do with who you see yourself as in front of other people and how other people see themselves. So it is, it is a, 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 your, your position or your person, who you are. The next one is getting your own way, a willfulness. And then we'll close with a rejoicing and wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth. So first we'll start out with this envy. What, how are we supposed to react in love? Well, love does not envy. It doesn't desire the things that other people have. It doesn't have the possessions that other people have. You know, this, this really kind of creeps up. Maybe when you've grown up with someone or you've been at work and you started at the same time and you were at some point equal and now you find that the other person has more success than you. Or if you look at someone else's success in business, uh, their position, you look at other people's finances, their power, or even you can see in someone else even virtuous things and be envious of those. Their kids are doing well. You become envious. You, you, you desire what they had, even other people's virtues. They, they, they seem to be doing so much better. They seem to have a right uh, relationship with their husband or wife, or they have, uh, they have a position in the church and they're serving or whatever, and there's an enviousness that, get, that wells up inside of us as we see other people's success especially when it is something that's ill-gotten. Now, that really gets us mad, doesn't it? Like, they're successful, but they cheated to get there. It moves us to dislike that person. Enviousness enviousness is that thing, that that emotion that is in us that oftentimes uh, leads to bad behaving. There's a, a, 
a famous work of art by Michelangelo called the Pieta. Uh, I think we have up here on the screen. I'll let you just kind of look at that for a second. It means pity. There is Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Jesus' body after the cross. beautiful piece, isn't it? It's moving. It's powerful. Jesus, Son of God, in a crumpled body, for your sake and mine. The sadness of his mom looking on, It's a powerful piece. It's moving, isn't it? Michelangelo made this. And it was on display. And he happened to be in the crowd, and he heard a couple people talking. And he realized they were talking about his piece, obviously, and that they were crediting the piece to someone else they didn't know. He was a little disturbed by that. I mean, so at night, he came in when there was just enough light. And if we could see closely enough, you'll see that Michelangelo's name is chiseled on part of Mary's clothing. Hmm. Subsequent to that, Michelangelo said, I wish I had never done that. And he didn't sign another piece of art after that. Are you getting it? First of all, the love that is expressed here, the glory of God in this picture is awesome to be reflected on, to be considered, considered how it affects all of our lives. The scene is glorious and full of suffering and loss and joy and life, and hope. And the reproduction of that scene by Michelangelo is a work of glorious art. God used, I mean, for Michelangelo to have those kinds of hands, right, that can make something like this, how awesome is that? To be able to look back and say, wow, look how God has used me at this masterpiece. And then for him to have to go and put his name on it. Can you see how it turned his own stomach? What was I thinking? In some ways, I've ruined the masterpiece because I had to put my name on it. Amen. Yet I look out and I see the masterpiece here and here that God has done in our lives. And I got to put my name on it. <laughs> right? I got to put my name on it. Let me just read for you again, James. Uh, sorry, I said James. It's Titus. Some of you probably looked it up and this makes sense. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For, our, for we ourselves were once foolish, 
disobedience, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Michelangelo missed the point of the masterpiece by putting his name on it. Do others' popularity, intelligence, their good characteristics, their spiritual gifting, their abilities, their appearance, does it make us feel lesser and less valuable? Yeah, it does. That the other is better than me. And so we become not content, but we become malcontents. Bad thinking, bad acting. We lose peace dissatisfied with what we have, fail to recognize the glory of God in our midst, the amazing work that he has done for us and in us. Love doesn't envy. It's educated. <laughs> Love does not boast. Boasting is that, that other side. It's not when you don't have, but when you do have, and you are saying how great it is. Uh, it's exalting yourself, exalting your possessions, your accomplishments. Love doesn't do this. We are, we are learning that, that the goodness in us, the things to boast about, were done and won and worked by someone else's hand. Is that his cost and his glory. So we celebrate what God has done and we become thankful for our blessings. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, if you're going to boast about something, boast in the Lord. <laughs> I mean, if, think about this. If the winner, if the runner-up to the winner in the Miss America pageant can turn around and hug that other lady, can't you? Can't we? Right? When we come in second, when we are the first loser, <laughs> We recognize that uh, all that we have is God's. Pride comes before the fall. And I have to admit, when I, when I uh, see others uh, that have this kind of attitude, I kind of want to bring them down. The next point is uh, thinking highly of yourself. Love is not arrogant or rude. It stems from pride. This arrogance is, the word is actually puff up, to inflate, to make something larger than it is. Love doesn't need for us, require us to make ourselves look greater. You know, we, we do that. We, we become arrogant when others fail to recognize how awesome we are. We have to remind them. 
We have to impress them. Make sure others know. Otherwise, I feel slighted. In doing so, we puff up and exaggerate what's there, right? Because they don't recognize this awesomeness. So, this awesomeness, right? Or we just walk in quietly with an air of superiority. And this can happen at work, on the court, Jonathan, in the classroom. It can happen in the pecking order or group of hens, amen, or the chest thumping of a group of men. And it can lead to arrogance, making even sport of others, speaking poorly about others and other people's presence so as to make ourselves look better, to puff up. This is not the way of love. So you kind of find uh, jostle for position in whatever relationship you're in. As an employer, as a parent. So love does this. Instead of puffing up, it remembers, even in a place of position, it remembers the other person. It remembers being there themselves. Parents, as we think about our kids, Remember what it was like to be a kid. Employers. We got a lot of employers in here. Remember what it used to be like to be the employee. Have grace. Humility. Teachers. Remember what it was like to be a student. The humble don't look down on those that are below them but they have a spirit of condescension, not looking down on them, but being down with them. James 4, 6 cautions this attitude, against this attitude of arrogance and pride. In James 4, 6, it says this, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That when it says opposes, you know, the, the real translation, the, the clearer translation is he sets his battle r- array against it. Ha! Right? You want to see God fight? Tell him you're something. <laughs> Be careful of our pride. But the humble spirit, the humble spirit does not puff up. It keeps us from glorifying ourselves. It makes us have a meanness of spirit, meanness, understanding our meanness before God. For by grace, Romans 12, 3 says, for by by the grace uh, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Brothers and sisters, we are not our own. We are purchased with a price. You did not make yourself. None of us created ourselves. None of us really sustain ourselves. No one can preserve their own life. Add a hair. He has created us, brothers and sisters, for noble purposes. We're not our own. Bought with a price. And we are made for each other. This is love. Love is humble. Jonathan Edwards said, 
by seeking the welfare of others and the, and the direction of the kingdom of God, you are on the surest way of securing God's welfare towards you. Let me read that to you again. By seeking the welfare of, welfare of others and the direction of the kingdom of God, you are on the surest way to secure the God, the, the God's, welfare, God's welfare towards you. Receiving the welfare of God, as we pour out our lives into others, we receive the provisions of God, not seeking our own. You know, the problem with pride, I think, is that it causes real blindness. That's how we talk about it in the Bible all the time. Pharisees walking around in pride. They were blind guides, right? If you are proud, as you heard those words, you were probably thinking about somebody else. <laughs> you had a list. Pride seems to be the hardest thing for us to see about ourselves. I wouldn't know anything about that, but that's what I hear. But it's easy to point out in somebody else, isn't it? Like we have clear vision when it comes to other people. That person is proud. They're arrogant. And I don't know about you, but being around arrogant people just wants me to make me want to humble them. Are you like that too? Like, oh yeah, well, this is what everybody else thinks of you. This is what I think of you. There is a desire to be rude. You see, that's the couplet. Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up, nor is it rude. And I think of that as how those who are coming in contact with those who are puffed up want to react. Like, I want to bring, I want to pop their bubble, right? You have an inflated overestimation, uh, how do I say that? Estimation. Estimation, thank you very much, of themselves. Yet we are called in Romans 12, 19 to yield ourselves. Chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with evil, evil with good. Boy, I tell you, I love bursting bubbles of arrogant people, but the Bible tells me, don't be so rude. Ugh. All right. I, I love that it's not rude. Has a, an appreciation of this self-love that is right and good. We, we are able to love others because we actually love ourselves. Not, not a love that seeks our own, but the love that now seeks the things of God. And so we can see people who are arrogant and proud, and we don't have to be rude to them, but we can see God is at work in them as well. How might God use me in this kingdom work to bring about restoration? It's a hard one, isn't it? No one likes being around someone who's arrogant. But there is still redemption for them as well. Finally, I, I like to just go to the last two here. And it says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, 
as we used to live, we would celebrate our misdeeds. We, if we knocked somebody down, we couldn't wait to tell that story. You know what I said to him? <laughs> Rude. We celebrate our rudeness. We, we celebrate our, puff up, our, our puffiness before other people. We celebrate how bad we act, but no more. The people of God now rejoice with the truth because we know the truth. And the truth is that God is at work in all of us, that he came to save all of us, and that we are all sinners before him, but we've been saved from grace. We've been made into something new because of the love of Jesus Christ. We are his masterpieces. We are his works. Seeking the truth and celebrating the truth is not easy, to be honest with you. Our knee-jerk reaction is not to be loving. It is to, is to delight in unloving actions. But the truth causes us to pause and not do a knee-jerk response. But this kind of truth is slow-moving, thoughtful, intentional. We must pray for this kind of attitude. We must pray for the other person. We must ask the Lord how we are to act in love. The truth of the matter is all of us are sinners. We're stuck in sin, and we need a miracle to get out of it. And that miracle has come. People of God, be ready to confess together and forgive. For those who are born again, we hear these words, and we have said, I failed at this, forgive me. I think faithful believers in here, as you hear these words, as I had to wrestle with them all week, I say, I, I failed you. Lord, help me to set my mind and heart on you. Lord, transform me. I want this. To those who are born again, Satan comes right now and he condemns you. See? You're not like what that's talking about. You don't have that kind of love. The Holy Spirit comes and says, you know what? You're a child of mine. And I'm working on you. And I'm still chiseling. <laughs> so be patient. Because I know there's something greater there. Not because of our righteousness, anything we've done, because... But because of who he is, he is the great artisan. and He's making something of us. Amen. Satan comes to condemn. The Holy Spirit comes to change and sanctify the people of God. So hang in there. I know you feel kind of blocky today. Amen. As you look at yourself, but he's at work. To Satan, rehearse the truth with him. Would the spirit be hopeful for his fire doesn't scar but melts away the impurities and brings joy? Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the truth because it is good. Your life and mine are a masterpiece of our God. Amen.